I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. On this episode, I talked to Matt and Adriana Brown. They lead a church in Nashville, Tennessee. Prior to that, they led a church in Texas that grew from 50 disciples to 150 disciples. During their time there, the church grew every year, one of only four other churches in our family of churches to experience yearly growth during the same nine-year growth period. They share the secrets they discovered to building a steadily growing ministry. Things like humility, getting help, training trainers, starting on campus, using a simple and repetitive scriptural theme to build culture, using savings wisely, and engaging members in foreign missions. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on the program, I'm excited to interview Matt and Adriana Brown from Nashville, Tennessee. Matt and Adriana have led a church that grew for nine consecutive years and is one of only three churches in our family of churches that grew consecutively year on during that same time period. There were two larger churches. There were Uh, two other smaller churches that did it, but it's an amazing feat and an amazing achievement to see a church consistently grow with no negative growth over a long period. We can have times when the church really takes off and and really explodes, and then you'll have a a retrenchment where it it doesn't grow, but they took their church and grew from 50 to 150 and did an amazing job. Now they're in Nashville, Tennessee, and they're going to talk a little bit about that. Matt and Adriana, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Good to see you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this a long time. I've been planning this for a long time because of just kind of the unique things that you guys have done. I look forward to getting into it. But let's start with some foundational stuff. How did you guys become Christians? Yeah. um, So I grew up in the church. Uh, My parents were um, actually part of the mainline Church of Christ and were missionaries in Argentina. Um, so basically I was, I was a year old when they moved to Argentina. I was born here in the States, but, um, I was a year old when we moved to Argentina and we were there, uh, for about five years until I was about six, moved to Boston. And, uh, so this was in the mid eighties. I got to, you know, see what was happening in Boston and these, these mission teams being sent out all over the world. And, and just as a kid, I was super inspired by that. And we actually went back to Argentina with the mission team from Boston in 1987 uh, we were there for three more years, and then we moved to Texas when I was uh, almost 12 in 1990. And so I, I just grew up seeing, you know, my parents on the mission field, my parents definitely with the heart to uh, want to make disciples and, and, you know, really make a difference, uh, kind of, I guess, uh, to, to use your phrase, uh, to make life count. Yeah. And, um, and, and that just uh, definitely left a mark on me. So I definitely grew up thinking it was never a matter of if I was going to be a disciple, but just simply when. And, um, 
you know, kind of went through a few teenage years of, of kind of going my own way, doing my own thing and um, being pulled and drawn to the world. And, and for a little while, I thought, you know, I, I, I'll wait to become a disciple until I'm an adult mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, I can't really do much until I'm an adult anyway. And uh, when I was 14, I went to a, um, a, it was actually the first teen camp that we did in sort of the Texas family of churches. Uh, we had Phil Arsenal come speak from Boston. And uh, throughout that week, uh, I, was, I was just moved and inspired. But, but probably one of the biggest things that impacted me was there were two teen boys. They were just a few years older than me that were speaking and they were uh, having quiet times with people and they were sharing about how they were studying the Bible with friends at school. And I was just really inspired that, okay, I don't have to wait until I get older. Like these guys, they're, they're making a difference now. They're changing people's lives now. So I went back home, just super, super inspired and uh, challenged and uh, studied the Bible and became a disciple in uh, the summer of 1993 between eighth and ninth grade. And uh, then we actually ended up picking up and, and moving. We were in Kansas City at the time. We, we ended up moving to, uh, to Dallas, uh, back to Dallas, where my dad uh, became an elder in the church there. Um, so that, that's how I became a Christian was as a teen and I'm on my journey there growing up in the church. But again, my parents just had a huge impact and, and just kind of growing up in an environment where people were really wanting to uh, make a difference, change the world. Uh, you know, I grew up watching Upside Down. Uh, for those, <laughs> those that have, uh, you know, have been around long enough. And it just inspired me. Hey, we're going to turn the world upside down. And I definitely wanted to be a part of that. That's awesome. So, okay, so you were on the mission team to Argentina? With, mm-hmm. with, as, with, as a kid, yeah. With I mean, Mike Tolliver? Uh, Mike went to Sao Paulo, Brazil. Okay, okay. So who, did your dad lead the, the planting to... Martin and Carmen Bentley okay. led the planting, but my parents were also full-time in the ministry on that planting. Uh, Doug, Doug and Jennifer Lambert also were, so it was, it was a pretty decent-sized group of people. Um, but yeah, so, so my folks were a part of that planting. Well, my story is kind of the opposite of Matt's. I grew up uh, totally in the world, and I was born in uh, Caracas, Venezuela, and my parents moved uh, to Houston, Texas, when I was two and a half, and I grew up in Houston. I grew up in the same house from the ages of two to 18. And you can ask Matt, he probably lived in 20 houses from the ages of <laughs> two to 18. He was just always moving, but I was very um, set in Houston. And, um, you know, I just grew up, my parents uh, are amazing people. Uh, but I grew up Catholic and I grew up, um, man, girls just want to have fun. That Cindy Lauper song. That was my <laughs> anthem. And from about 14 to 18, I just wanted to have fun and I wanted to live it up. And I was very adventurous, very daring. And that got me into a lot of sin and a lot of trouble. Um, a lot of parties, a lot of impurity. And I would have this front that I'm a great student and I'm a great athlete but I was doing a lot of stuff behind closed doors and uh, sneaking out. And, and it really did snowball. Like it started little at 14, 15, and then just snowballed by the time I'm, I'm 18. Um, so I was very promiscuous and pure party life. Um, and I do think some of the, uh, 
some of the school stuff. I was at an all girls Catholic school. Um, I think some of that school stuff really helped me even not cross some lines even more that I was crossing and being, um, I was a swimmer and a volleyball player. I think that kept me out of a little bit of trouble, but, uh, you know, I, I got into a lot of trouble and a lot of sin. And so when I got, uh, into school, I got accepted to the university of Texas in Austin and I got, um, a scholarship, a full, full ride for being a national Hispanic scholar. And I had to keep a certain GPA. I had to keep, I believe it's a three, two, five. And that scared the mess out of me because <laughs> I was cheating in school and I hadn't necessarily earned that scholarship. Um, and I knew if I continued to live this lifestyle, partying, boyfriend after boyfriend, my academic life is not going to go well. So when I get to school, I just told myself, I'm going to be a good girl. I'm going <laughs> to go back to church. Uh, you know, the, Catholic school, Catholic, excuse me, Catholic um, church was just down the road from my dorm. And I'm going to be a good girl so I can keep this uh, GPA, so I can keep this scholarship. And my parents said, if you lose it, you're coming back home. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I didn't want to lose it. And so anyways, I, you know, I make this goal to be good and to study and go back to church. And it lasted three weeks. And then, you know, there I was on 6th Street and anybody who knows Austin, that's where all the clubs and bars are. I'm, you know, going to the, the parties and just experiencing campus life, that side of campus life. And so my little goal to be good lasted three weeks. And little did I know that God was putting someone in my life to really help me <laughs> be, um, you know, good in the way God wants us to be good, to love him. Um, and, and Matt ended up having a class with me that year, Matt, my husband, and Matt invited me to church. And I was, you know, in another relationship, getting into all kinds of trouble. Matt had another interest. It was not anything romantic. We were just friends, but, but Matt was the one that invited me to church. And, uh, it took about two or three weeks, but finally I went, I went to a special midweek that the Austin church was having. And, you know, Matt did what, what the brothers are supposed to do. He just handed me over to two women that are still to this day, my best friends, Angela Hooper and Leslie Esparza. And uh, we studied the Bible. We became great friends. Uh, the Hoopers just adopted me into their family. Um, it was an incredible time. But what I would do is I would shake my head yes in all the Bible studies. I was agreeing with the Bible. I believed in the Bible. And on Tuesday, yes, I want to be a disciple. Awesome. I want to go for it. Yes. And by Friday, I'm back, you know, in the club. Right. <laughs> like I, it took me a while to figure out how to truly repent, how to truly make Jesus Lord. Uh, took a while because, like I said, from 14 to 18, it was very ingrained in me to be deceitful and to be worldly, to be impure. And it, it was hard to change. Um but man, I started the reading, reading the Bible every day uh, since I was 18. And best decision I ever made was to read the Bible every day. That's awesome. Well, that's, that's kind of cool that you were met by your future husband. Okay. Yeah. So, so how did that turn out? Like, how did you guys end up getting married? So um, we started dating towards the end of our freshman year in school. Um, and we, you know, kind of dated through school and kind of as, as school was coming to a close, we 
we both wanted to do ministry um, and, you know, we're kind of trying to figure out the timing and everything. So I actually proposed uh, December before we were going to graduate in May uh, and actually a couple weeks after um, uh, after that, we were asked to go work in the church in Houston. We were in Austin. We were asked to go work in the church in Houston when we graduated in May. Um, and then also, as we were talking about the dates of when we were going to, we, we wanted to get married. So Adriana, as she, she shared, is from Venezuela, and she had family that was coming up from Venezuela for our graduation. And also, her older sister was also graduating from college the week before that. So the family from Venezuela was already planning to be in town for, you know, uh, about two weeks, I guess. So we just figured uh, the sister was graduating in, in a different city. So the family was already going to be traveling, moving around. So we just, we felt like it just made the most sense to, uh, to get married around the same time as, as when we were graduating. So we actually both graduated with business degrees at eight in the morning. Um, and, and then we got married at four that afternoon. <laughs> you know how you're not supposed to see your, you know, your future bride the day of. Uh, I'm, I'm getting out of the car to walk into the place where we're having our graduation. And of course, the first person I see, uh, not intending to, is Adriana. Uh, so we sort of smile at each other and then went our separate ways. Um, but yeah, so we, um, we, again, graduated in the morning, got married at four in the afternoon, uh, basically went on our honeymoon. And then never came back to Austin. We went to Dallas to get some training in how to work with uh, teen ministry. And then we moved to Houston. Um, so basically, it, it was graduation, marriage, and, and beginning of, of ministry, uh, all, all basically on the same day. That must have been one of the most awesome days ever. I mean, you graduate and you get married on the, the same day. What, what was that like? Uh, it was it was awesome. You You don't know how awesome it is, like... We were just young and in love. We were 21 you know, years old. We were taking our finals and planning our wedding. Um, the Austin church was awesome and just you know, helped us pull it all together. We did not have a lot of money, um, but it, it, was, it was amazing. It was really, really fun, really special. But man, when you're young and in love and you have a lot of energy when you're 21, right. <laughs> you can pull it off. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Okay, so... Why did you guys decide to go into the ministry? What what was driving you? Yeah, I um, I want to share a scripture actually that just opened my eyes when I was probably around nineteen. Um, it's Luke twelve, verse forty eight. The end there. It says, "From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much." much more will be asked. And when I was around uh, 18, 19, uh, I went back to Venezuela to visit um, on a Christmas break. And there was no um, sister church there uh, in Caracas or in the whole country. And I had just become a young Christian. And, uh, you know, I'm having communion. I'm having, you know, a Snickers bar and a Coca-Cola for communion <laughs> at my grandmother's house by myself. <laughs> And um, when I get back, and, and you know what, I, I took a lot of steps backwards, like my sinful nature just came out over there, just uh, gotten a little bit of, of trouble and um, purity struggles and drinking struggles. And um, when I got home, you know, I confessed all that. Um, but then it started clicking, like I was there alone. You know, I, I didn't have my brothers and sisters with me. And, you know, that sin is 100% on me. 
but it made me think like, man, what I have here in Texas is so special. There's churches in every city, big city here in Texas. There's like, I think there was like maybe eight or 10 churches at the time in our family of churches. And there wasn't one in Caracas. And so my first dream was actually, I'm going to go beyond that mission planting. And it it was coming out of uh, Florida. So I called the people putting it together in Florida and I was like, Hey, you need somebody else. And basically they're like, uh, you're in the middle of school and you just started dating. Probably not, you know, probably not right timing, but thank you for your heart and your interest. Um, but that was my first dream. And it really did came from, come from, I've been given so much. God is going to demand a lot from me. I feel like I have, I have grace. I have great relationships. I, um, you know, I know the truth now, man, if there's a way to, to give back to God full-time, great, sign me up. I'll do it. Um, so I was very challenged by that scripture because, you know, before becoming a Christian, I just, I just wanted to be wealthy and comfortable and have fun. Mm -hmm. That was my goal. Get that business degree, make some money, have fun, travel, white picket fence, some kids, right? But you know, make some money have some fun. Mm-hmm, right. And, and I just felt like that's not the dream anymore. The, the dream is, is to help people and share what I've been given. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, it was pretty simple. Again, kind of how I grew up and what I saw my parents, it was, it was pretty easy. Just once I decided to become a disciple, that was my focus and, and what I wanted to do um, with, with my time, with my energy, you know, just w- with all my heart. So for me, it was always, well, if I can do ministry, you know, if I can, if I can be a disciple full time uh, without needing to work at another job, that's what I want to do. Um, and if, you know, even going through business school, I figured, hey, you know, if, if I need to work for a while, fine. But it's just the question of, you know, when does God open a door? But to me, it was it was always just ministry is what I'm going to do uh, if if God allows it. OK, so. The church you led in Southern Texas, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Maybe you can just kind of give me, before we get into that, give me like a fast forward. Where'd you guys go from graduation day in ministry? Like, tell, just give me an overview of your ministry career. Sure. So we uh, went to Houston, worked with the, the teen ministry, led the teen ministry in Houston from 2000 to 2002. Um, in 2002, we were asked to move back to Austin and work with the campus ministry, which we were happy to do. We love Austin and uh, got to work at our alma mater, and we still had lots of college friends that were there, part of the church. So we did that for about five years, and um, so actually uh, uh, about four years into that, um, we uh, our, our role changed a little bit, and we started to wonder, hey, what's next for us? Um, try to kind of share it quickly. Um, but basically, long story short, you know, we started to wonder, started to pray, started to fast about what was next. Um, started, started kind of putting a fleece out there, if you will, like some very specific prayers uh, where there was a, a very specific answer that was going to come. Um, and again, kind of long story short, on the, on the day that answer came that, that made it clear, we, we felt like God was saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not going to keep you in Austin long term. We, we were happy to stay in Austin. We loved Austin. But we, we felt like uh, God made it clear. He had other plans for us. We got a call from the church in South Texas who had been looking for uh, somebody to come and serve with the church there. And so um, 
that's kind of how we, we ended up back down, or we ended up in South Texas in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, was just through, through lots of prayer and, and fasting and, and obviously getting a lot of input. Uh, but we really felt like it was very clear that God wanted us to go down and serve with the church in South Texas. Um, it's a, a, a very bilingual area. It's just right along the border with, uh, between the U.S. and Mexico, between Texas and Mexico, and between the Rio Grande Valley, which is, um, or in between the, the Rio Grande River, um, which is, is what separates Texas and Mexico and the Gulf Coast. So uh, if anybody sees like a, a map of Texas, just that, that, so that cone very, at the very, very bottom of Texas. And uh, so basically it's, it's like 90% Mexican-American, again, very bilingual. We're both bilingual. Um, and so we felt like it, it just made a lot of sense. It's something we could go and we could serve. We didn't think we had, you know, we knew we had no idea how to lead a church, um, how to grow a church. We had, you know, just been uh, part of the staff there in Austin and uh, pretty much focused on campus for the, the five years that we were in Austin. So we, we knew we had no idea what we were doing, but we really felt like God made it clear it's what he was asking. So that's how we ended up down. Okay. Okay. So how, let me just back up a little bit. How old are you guys? We're 43. Okay, so you guys are right just beginning your prime years right now. And what year did you guys start there in the Rio Grande Valley? I think it was when we were 28. Okay. So we, we were with our, our dear friends, Dave and Angela Hooper in Austin. And so we had had the two years teen experience in Houston. Then we'd had the five years in Austin with campus. And I mean, Dave and Angela Hooper were leading churches in Russia when they were Right. you know, 20 something. Right. So that was kind of the natural step is, is they even said, Hey, we think the next step is for y'all to lead a church. So we were 28 and we had our two babies. Uh, Alana was two and Ty was six months when we moved down to the Valley. Now that was in 2007. Okay. 2007. Okay. So describe the church when you got there. What, what did it look like? The church had been planted in 2000. Um, and uh, Aaron and Brenda Salazar had, had, had planted church, had done a great job. And so it was, it was a fairly happy, healthy group. And actually, the, the core leadership of the church were mostly people our age, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, maybe late 20s, early 30s, that we had, uh, our Texas family of churches had done campus retreats, you know, kind of all, all statewide. So uh, some of the folks that were in the core leadership were people we had been on campus retreats with in different cities. So we, we kind of knew some of the people, uh, not, not necessarily super well, but it was a, you know, fairly faithful group, and, but they had been without full-time leadership for about a year and a half. So they were, they were definitely wanting some help. Um, our, our, our time in campus ministry from basically 2002 to 2007 was, was challenging. Um, uh, we, we, we don't feel like it went super well. And uh, we feel like we definitely didn't know what we were doing and we were trying and, and asking, you know, questions of different people, but it was definitely a challenging time. And so we kind of thought, hey, maybe, maybe campus ministry is not for us. Maybe that's not our, our gift. And uh, the church in, in the Valley had no campus ministry to speak of. It was basically, you know, a few singles and, and marrieds for the most part. And, and we didn't even, I don't even think we could have told you which colleges were down there. Right. So we were thinking we were going down and we were just going to sort of, hey, maybe we can give it a shot here with adult ministry and, and marriage ministry. Um, 
but again, it was, it was a good, faithful, happy group, but that um, had been kind of without much, much direction. But the guys that were kind of spearheading things really did a phenomenal job. They're, they're still some of our best friends today. Um, they, they really, they just did a great job as, as volunteers. Okay, so how big was the church at the time? It was right around 50. Okay, so the church had been there for about seven years. It's mm-hmm. leveled out around 50, and you guys walk into it. Okay, I- explain, like, what was your mindset going into it? Like, what were your objectives? Do you remember what you were thinking when you were going into that situation? We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> um, yeah, first, I, I, first church I think, planting, first first time you're leading a church, so it's kind of all fresh for you. Yeah, and and honestly, like, um, like again, growing up in the church and and then going through the late '90s and middle 2000s, where you know our churches were in turmoil, right? Um, and and seeing in Texas a lot of these smaller churches, like I, I would see leaders go in, be be there for a few years, and then go back to the bigger church. And there was a lot of turnover, and we had gotten to a place in the in our family of churches where the smaller churches were just kind of staying small, and they weren't really growing. And so, honestly, uh, yeah, we felt like God made it clear He wanted us to go, but I, I can't tell you we went with a ton of faith that you know, man, we're going to really see see things grow because we hadn't really seen it happen. Right. But right. on the flip side, we went very faithful that God God wants us here. Um, God wants people to become Christians. Um, God wants us to go share our faith and, and share the gospel with people. And so we're going to trust God with the results. The, and one of the other things that was key for us with making the decision to go to the Valley is the, the overseeing church was the San Antonio congregation. And Mike and Ambersheet Tolliver uh, were, were going to be working with us and they were going to be helping us and they were going to be you know, training us. And so to us, that was, that was really a big deal. One of my best friends growing up, Marty Wilkinson, uh, we, we had, um, you know, again, we, we grew up together and we were in Austin. He was in San Antonio when Mike and Ambergy got to San Antonio from Africa. And I really saw how their training helped him to grow and helped him to really be effective in ministry. And so for us, the idea of being able to move to the Rio Grande Valley and for Mike and Ambergy to train us and and mentor us and walk with us was was huge. So we just felt like, hey, we believe God can work. Um, this is a new adventure, and we're gonna we're gonna ask lots of questions and get lots of help. And we know we love God, and and we're gonna do our best. I mean, that's really that's really what our thinking was. Um, okay, so you had good discipling, you had good relationships. I, I just pulled up a map here of that area because I am not familiar at all with it. But I see like three challenges right off the bat. Okay, one, you, you're coming and planting a church during a really tumultuous time in the, the family of our church. I mean, in the history of our churches, because things are just in the wake of 2003. There's a lot of, uh, you know, just questioning and all sorts of stuff going on. Two, you'd never led a church before. Three, the church has already been there about seven years. It hasn't had leadership for a year in, in place. Churches plateau at 50. I mean, they just want to stay at that size. So there's a, an inertia to stay right there at that size. And then looking at it, I go, okay, it's a very big area. 
with not a lot of big towns. There's not like a gravity center that draws people to one. I, I, I see McAllen, I see Brownsville, but those places aren't even that close together. There's Rio Grande City. It's, it's a big area. It's like a corridor that goes along the border there. And then there's not a big, there's not a big name college. There's not something that's, you know, like, Hey, we're going to plant the flag at UT Austin or something. It's the college. I really had never heard about it before. Uh, You know, I think you've talked about it. So talk about how did you going into it with all of those things weighed against you? How did you grow from 50 to 150 over the next nine or 10 years that you guys were there? I just go, what in the world were you guys doing? That's it's really amazing. Yeah, I think um, I think again we we didn't know what we were doing. So we um, from Dave and Angela Hooper we learned how to love people and how to be hospitable. Um, and that uh, the Mexican culture down there is so fun and so hospitable. It's hospitality and food and I just feel like Dave and Ange set us up and and taught us how to how to be that, how to, how to have an open door and how to, you know, love people, feed people. And, uh, and then the training we were getting from Mike and Ambergite, you know, they've planted churches in Brazil and Africa, they were turning San Antonio around. So we just made a decision, you know, you know, we're going to put our kids in the back seat in the two car seats, and we're going to drive to San Antonio to get that discipling as much as we can. So, we were constantly <laughs> going to San Antonio, uh, maybe once a quarter for some seasons, maybe once a month. We actually decided at one point, because we had never been with Mike and Amber Sheet, it was, it's this long distance friendship. I think it was maybe a year or two in, two, two, two years in, we said, you know what, we need FaceTime, we need friendship. Let's go in to San Antonio um, for six weeks, 10 weeks. And I think we landed on 10. Mm-hmm. And let's move there and just get FaceTime and see what they're doing in San Antonio, ask the questions, get closer to Mike and Anne Brigitte so our long distance discipling relationship can work. I want to say long distance dating, but it wasn't (laughs) discipling. Um, So yeah, I just have these great memories of, of just driving to San Antonio and the kids would watch the same movies in the car seat just over and over the Veggie Tales or the Fern Gully or Madagascar just over and over. And um, yeah, I, I really feel like God bless that humble spirit to ask questions and to make the drives, to move there, to see what's working in San Antonio and and yeah, we would just shamelessly steal whatever was working over there and try it, you know, in the valley. And, um, you know, and when we couldn't get Dave and Ange on the phone, I'm sorry, when we couldn't get Mike and Amber G, we just called Dave and Ange. And we, when we couldn't get Dave and Ange, we'd call Doug and Angela Wins. And we, when we couldn't get Doug and Angela Wins, we'd call Todd and Patty's path. Like just, sorry. sorry, Todd and Patty Assad. So we just had these people rooting for us in Texas, these seasoned ministers rooting for us. And we were just, you know, set up with that warm, loving church and all the older ministers rooting for us that I just think God, you know, God bless that. Yeah. I mean, like Adrian said, I, I think that it, we had so much help and, and we definitely felt a spirit of, of people wanting to help, but we also asked a lot of questions. We went and got help. We, we knew that we needed as much help as we could get. One, one of the things with Mike and Ambergine, uh, after we'd been there a little while is, is they kind of talked to us about, okay, 
if you're going to grow this church, where are the leaders going to come from? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, if it's not campus, then where? And we actually, they actually drove with us to one of the college campuses one time that they came down and visited. And we kind of walked around the campus and they, they kind of planted some seeds and they said, hey, we've always done it through campus. That's not the only way to do it. Actually, I guess maybe in New York, they didn't do it through campus. It was more the daytime ministry and um, arts. But, but they basically said, you got to figure out where your leaders you know, are going to come from if, if the church is going to grow. So there, we actually, where God had kind of lined it up for us to buy a house um, was three miles from University of Texas Pan American is what it was called then. And it was a school of about 20,000 students. And um, so we just said, okay, well, hey, let's, let's give campus another try. And we, um, we had one teen who was baptized as a senior in high school. And um, we started, we took him up to a campus retreat in San Antonio and he got excited and he said, I wanna, I wanna help there be something like this in the valley and so i i enrolled and i took a class at the university he decided to live in the dorms so that he could kind of help jumpstart a ministry and basically he and adriana and i started having bible talks on campus uh and it was it was it was pretty slow but you know little by little we actually started to see a campus ministry happen and and be built and um yeah i mean you know i i, I definitely believe god bless but i think i think we we had a lot of help and we had a lot of support and we asked for a lot of help and we asked for a lot of direction and we took that direction. Yeah. Uh, and again, we feel very blessed to have had seasoned church builders like Mike and Amberjeet kind of walking with us through it. Um, and so we definitely feel like that's a big part. And like Adriana said, I mean, I've believed this for a long time that, that God blesses the humility to get advice more than the advice itself. Like whether or not the advice is good God blesses the, the humility to want to get help. And so, you know, I don't know, I guess I'd rather have a, a bad plan with God's support than an amazing plan without God's help, without God's support. That's awesome. And, and so um, I, I just, I really feel like th there was a combination there, right? If we had, we had great people helping us, uh, but I think God really, you know, he pushed things along and we just got to see amazing things. I mean, there were situations where, it was just so obvious God was working as people became Christians. One of the couples that became a Christian, uh, they became Christians. Adriana was doing a Bible study in the student union and uh, she, she opens up her Bible and a guy's walking by and he, he stops and says, are you doing a Bible study? Can I join you? And he just sits down at a table with a group of girls. And uh, <laughs> next thing you know, uh, we're having him and his fiance over for dinner. We started doing pre-marriage counseling with them kind of as we study the Bible, and they said, they basically said, hey, we've been reading our Bibles for months. Uh, we really want God to be at the center of our relationship, but, you know, we're just going to these sort of classes at the Catholic Church, but we don't, we don't really have anybody in our lives, and they were just wide open. Wow. Uh, th there, was, there was another girl that um, she was looking, this was before her freshman year, she was looking for um, like a, you know, a Christian ministry to be a part of when she went to college and she was looking on Facebook at different Facebook pages and she found our Facebook page. She was not impressed by our Facebook page and she, she went to keep kind of looking and her phone froze on our Facebook page. <laughs> and so she came to Bible talk and became a disciple and is still faithful. Um, I mean, it, it was, it was like just 
story after story like that, wow. where now obviously we were going out and sharing our faith and, right. and, you know, we're trying to be disciples, but we really feel like God, God worked, God opened doors. So humility obviously is a standout feature of your character. What else, what else helped you to grow that church? Well, again, I mean, I, I think really focusing on, on the campus and the youth and, and even just the idea of, are we going to be trainers? Are we going to train trainers as opposed to just try to baptize? And that was one of the things that Mike and Ambergie really taught us and talked about is, is not just about growth. It's about really training people who are going to be disciple makers and who are going to train disciple makers. And so that was really a big part of our focus with the campus ministry, but also just with the adult ministries. It's just really focusing on, on hey, you know, let's let's be be training people how to train. Um, the other thing, I read a book, right, uh, maybe the first year we were there called Simple Church that I'm sure a lot of people probably, you know, um, remember or have read. And that kind of always stuck with me is just the idea of how do we keep things simple so that any member of the church can say, hey, this is who we are and what we're about. And we kind of landed on um, just focusing on three scriptures on the greatest commandment, um, you know, that we're going to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength on the new commandment that we're going to love each other the way Jesus taught us to love and on the great commission that we're going to go and make disciples of all nations. And um, so we just, we just talked a lot about, Hey, this is who we are. These are the kind of three things that we really want to define us as a church. Uh, we were comfortable being repetitive uh, because again, that's what we wanted to be our culture and what we wanted people to, to be able to come back to. And again, we wanted those things to be based on love. Um, we wanted it to be very relational, relationship with God, relationship with people. Um, and I feel like that helped. It helped to kind of have those, those core values that we tried to keep coming back to. Okay, so you're both Spanish speakers. You said that 90% of the people there are Mexican-American. Were you doing your ministry in Spanish? Like what, like, tell, tell me a little bit about your outreach. What, what was it like there? Yeah, it was, I would say it was predominantly in English, but we used our Spanish all the time. Like the church had two Bible talks in Mexico, um, people that would come over for church on Sunday. So, you know, as we supported those two Bible talks, obviously we spoke Spanish with those guys. Um, a lot of our, um, studies uh, on campus, totally English, like the younger generation was English, but I have studies with the kids' moms or grandmas, and those would be in Spanish. And Matt got on a schedule where he was preaching, I believe one Sunday a month with a, was a Spanish service. Yeah, one Sunday a month, you know, like, so three Sundays a month, we would have service in English and anybody that didn't speak English would be, would kind of have a headset and do the whole translation thing. So, but because of the area, we said, well, hey, let's flip that, you know, at least once a month and let's have, you know, kind of have it the other way where everybody who doesn't speak Spanish is going to have the headset on and they get a feel for what that's like. And, and so we would just do once a month, we do the whole service in Spanish. Um, yeah, it, it was, it's the kind of, it's the kind of area where you walk into a store and you're just as likely to be greeted in Spanish uh, as you are in English. Now I'm, you know, I know this is a audio thing. I'm white. My wife is from Venezuela. So she looks Latina. 
Um, so often they would look at me and try to speak English or sometimes <laughs> broken English. And, uh, but, uh, but in general, it's just a, it's a very bilingual area. And actually, the first guy that was baptized on our campus was a, a student who had come over from Mexico. Um, and he, his, his English was pretty broken. So we, did, we ba basically did the Bible studies with him in Spanish. And actually, when we counted the cost with him, uh, he was, it was over the Christmas break. So he was in Mexico. So uh, I actually meet me and, and a few of the other brothers drove to the border uh, and we and then he he got to the border, walked across. There's a Whataburger right there. And we met at the Whataburger right <laughs> by the border uh, to count the cost. And then he was baptized that next Sunday. Uh, so it's just it, it, the area. It, it's just basically whatever is needed. But wow. the fact that we're bilingual, really, uh, it, it really is the kind of a situation where that, that, that was huge. That helped a lot that we could kind of go either way, uh, depending on what the need was. Wow. That's, that's so impressive. That's just fantastic. Okay. I want to backtrack because you said you grew up on the, on the mission field. What's your dad's name? Steve Brown. My parents are Steve and Diane Brown. Okay. Are they still in the ministry? What are they doing now? Um, dad, uh, is still helping out some, um, in a, you know, paid capacity with our mission society. So basically over the past few years, he and I have worked together, uh, with the Andean missions Alliance, which is the churches it's kind of in the Andes mountains. So Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, and Peru. And, um, and mom is officially retired, uh, but they still serve. They actually live here in Nashville down the road from us. Uh, but actually, I took them to the airport this morning. They're heading back down to Quito, Ecuador, uh, and they're going to go. They're spending 10 days there. They spent uh, about five years there. Uh, let's see, from maybe 2013 to 2018, um, leading the church, just trying to kind of help and, and uh, raise up kind of some of the, the locals there to lead, to lead that church and take care of that church. Uh, so they're going back to visit and connect sort of after COVID here. It's their first time back. Uh, they're actually right now, uh, the, the couple that was leading the church in Knoxville, Tennessee, stepped out in, in December. And so they're actually living right now in Knoxville over the, the past month and a half and for the next few months, just to kind of be there as a stopgap to, to support the church, to love up on the church. So they are very much still, you know, ministry. They, it's, it's kind of been their lifelong passion and, and they just keep serving and serving and serving wherever God has them. That's awesome. I could do a whole separate podcast just on that, uh, that relationship, because, you know, sometimes people feel like, oh, you know, I'm a preacher's kid. And there's a kind of an interesting dynamic there. But you seem to have picked up the very best qualities of your parents. Was there anything they were doing as parents that uh, inspired you or that, you know, helped you to follow Christ and, and kind of follow in their footsteps? I think they just, they love God. I mean, they love God. They love his word. They, um, I think, uh, I, I think about the idea, just the, the sincerity of their faith. Uh, I think Paul talks to Timothy, right, about that. And, and uh, I've just, that, that's what I grew up seeing. I mean, they're human. They make mistakes. They have sin. But they, there was always just a very sincere desire to please God, to serve God. Um, and again, they, they were a part of, they were missionaries as part of the mainline church and moved to Boston for more training. Um, but even as our, our family of churches went through a lot of the turmoil, uh, they've just, their, their love for God has never flagged. It's never, you know, they didn't flinch in, in terms of their, their love for God. 
you know, in spite of kind of us as a family of churches trying to find our way forward. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I can't really speak to it any more than that. I mean, just they, they, they modeled it. Must and, be really uh, amazing people. Mm-hmm. I certainly think so. Yeah. Let's go back to the church in the Rio Grande. Adriana, you ran into some serious persecution there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, we were studying the Bible with lots of girls and guys on, on campus. Um, we started with the one student and, you know, slowly it started growing. We might've been at around eight or 10 when this persecution happened, but, um, it, it was devastating. I studied the Bible with a girl who, who didn't make it, but we, uh, you know, studied out sin together. It went, it went pretty far. We had a time of confession together and she ended up writing an article that was published uh, in the school magazine. There were thousands of copies on it around campus. And in this article, you know, besides tearing us up that, that we're a cult, that, you know, we tried to, um, you know, brainwash her as a freshman and, you know, uh, the, the loving her wasn't sincere. It was, it was brainwashing. Besides all that kind of stuff that you've probably heard before, she threw in all my sin that I confessed in the sin study. And so she said, you know, Adriana Brown did this, this, and this. And, uh, and she was specific. Oh my gosh. And she said, and then she tried to manipulate me to share mine, but I didn't have anything like that. So she, <laughs> she throws me under the bus, totally shares my sin. And this young lady did have some sin, but she left it out of the article. <laughs> she throws mine in. And I, I'm irate. Like, I'm mad. Oh, I'd be too. Uh, so I had a lot to learn. Um, my daughter was five and just learned to read. Mm-hmm. And that struck me like I was so mad. Like, my daughter knows how to read now. And mm-hmm. she can read about my life before I choose to share that with her. Right. Like, that's just weird that this is out there now for the world to read. And even um, my daughter, I, I don't know, that's a vivid memory in, in my mind that anybody can read this, even my five-year-old that can now read. <laughs> um, so we learned a lot in terms of how, how to deal with things, like how to deal with the university. Um, Mike and Amberjeet Tolliver, again, were instrumental in helping us working with the um, university. And we did get an apology from the university. Um, we got some of the magazines pulled for a while, but I think they were out there again at one point. Um, you know, at this point, this is 12 years ago, so I don't remember all the details, but it was devastating. Um, but the, the campus rallied and it still continued to grow after that. Like, like I said, we were probably at, you know, eight or 10 at that point. And that particular campus before we planted another one down the road, that particular campus ended up growing to about 35 students, I think. So it still continued to grow. But we were all pretty devastated because this young lady was influential. I think she went on to be the student body president. She was when the article was written. She She was was the student body president. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I I wrote her a letter when my heart got in a better place. And I I just wrote a letter that I forgave her and I wanted the best for her. She was going to go on to law school and go on to do great things. And uh, so that was good for me to write that letter. I never heard back or anything, mm-hmm. but. Um, 
never an it's never crazy, a, never right? an apology from her or a retraction or a you, you never thought about going and, and charging her with libel or anything like that. We we spoke to the department and we spoke to people on campus and um, and we spoke to a lawyer uh, who's a disciple in Dallas and he just said that you know kind of. It, trying to to charge with libel is just really really hard and but we he did he did kind of he was helpful in terms of he sent a letter to the university uh kind of helping us to work through that and you know that they would take it seriously but you know we, yeah the, we we didn't ever actually take any legal action and mm. um you know the, he he basically I don't know that I'd say he advised against it, but just that that's a really hard thing right. to do. It's a hard road and keeps you connected to that person and the issue, the drama for a long time. Yeah. So when the next magazine came out, like six months later, we were so glad that ours was finally <laughs> off the shelf. <laughs> the next magazine was in there. That's really impressive. Okay. So you guys grew that church to 150 and then, um, Anything else you want to throw in there that, that helped you to get there? Because it's, it's so impressive that you did it. Any, so you've talked about humility. You've talked about getting on campus. You've talked about using your Spanish and just trying to figure out what could work. Anything else that would help a person who's leading a small, small ministry to, to help it to get growing? Well, I would just add, you know, we started in the campus and we got, you know, the wheels turning in campus. And uh, after a while, saw the fruit there in campus. And then those kids were, were trained and they would go on to the singles or the young marrieds. And then we saw fruit in the singles and the marrieds. Um, you know, the teens were seeing all these cool campus students baptized. So then the teens were growing and it was just very exciting when finally, it, and it took years, years, but finally maybe year, I don't know, seven, eight like all the ministries are fruitful. It's not just campus anymore. Mm. So that was really exciting. And that's when we probably saw like multiplication starting, right. not just, you know, adding a few here, a few there. So that was just really fun when you see all the ministries firing on all cylinder cylinders is exciting. The other thought I have, you know, since you phrased the question in, in the kind of with the idea of what would help small church leaders or, or even maybe small churches. Um, I, I'm, I mean, the, the church in the Valley was willing to hire a couple that was 28 um, and had never led a church before. And um, I, I just feel like that's huge. I feel like often when churches go looking for somebody, they want, you know, people who are far more experienced and, and they're not willing to take a chance and then support a young couple. And, and we felt so supported. We felt like the church was really behind us and sort of allowing us to grow and allowing us to be trained. And uh, again, when we went up to San Antonio for those 10 weeks, they, they financed that. They got us a, a furnished place that we could live in for those 10 weeks. So the church really was willing to take a risk on a young couple and then support us and give us time. Uh, so, you know, for, for, I know right now there's a lot of churches that are looking for, for ministry staff and, um, I, I just, I, I think, I just appreciate that they believed in us, um, even though we were, we were younger. Uh, yeah. I think the other thing is, is from the perspective of the church leader, um, we, we really knew we wanted to, um, uh, we wanted to see the church really grow and, and we, we knew we didn't know how to do that, but it was our conviction that the church was going to grow or we were going to move somewhere to get more training 
you know, if we had been there for a certain period of time and it hadn't grown. So there was definitely, we had the expectation that the church would grow, even though we didn't know what that was going to look like. And so we felt like, hey, we're going to do our best. And, and again, if after a time, um, you know, things aren't growing, then that means we need to go get more help and we need to move somewhere where we're going to get more training. And luckily we were able to get that training from afar. Um, we also decided that the church, because they hadn't had any ministry staff for a year and a half, they had a decent amount of savings. Uh, and what we, we decided when they hired us is we, we decided to pretend basically that they didn't have those savings. Uh, we actually took a little bit of a pay cut to go from Austin to the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, now, the Rio Grande Valley is like the lowest um, cost of living in the country. So, um, and God, God just took care of us. Like we, the house we sold in Austin, the house we bought in the, like God just took care of all these details, but, but we, we decided, Hey, we want to save that money for, for later to be able to invest it in the church. And so after the campus had gotten going, and I think right after actually that, that time of persecution that you were asking us about, we, we felt like, okay, it's time. I think we had um, like 10 guys in the campus and three girls. And we had two little kids and Adriana just, there, there were more girls coming. I mean, we had Bible talks with like 40 visitors. Uh, and and we, had, we had more girls coming than Adriana could study the Bible with. So we felt like, okay, um, it's time to use that savings. And so we hired a girl, uh, her name was Emily Poppenberg from the church in El Paso, who was a school teacher, but she, you know, her dream was to do ministry. And so she came down and she worked with us for three years and just did a phenomenal job. And we got to see the, the ministry really grow. Um, but, but again, I, I feel like we, we said, hey, we want, we want the church's finances to reflect where, where we're investing um, and so, and we continued to do that. We continued to, you know, try to find ways to hire interns, to ask people to do one-year challenges, um, you know, kind of work at Starbucks and then go to campus. And we had lots of students do that. Um, we, you know, we did different internships. And again, we imitated a lot of what we saw San Antonio do just by, you know, investing in the campus. Um, but again, part of it was just very intentionally, we, we tried to structure the finances and even kind of our compensation around the mission. And, and we feel like God really took care of us with that. We felt like God, in, in other ways, God, God made it all work. You, you've given, given me a lot of good stuff here. Humility. You took the time to spend 10 weeks to get help, which is super important. And literally go live with near your discipling partners, train trainers, start on campus, and, and let it infiltrate the rest of the, the church uh, the humility, simple church, having three simple scriptures to guide your culture, use your savings wisely. Okay, a lot of amazing practical help there. My question for you is, okay, you got this great situation. Just, I mean, year after year, it's grown, which few other churches are, are doing. Why'd you go to Tennessee? Uh, yeah, that, that's a story for sure. Um, <laughs> we... Uh, I guess the one other thing we haven't really shared about the Rio Grande Valley is we, we started taking uh, members down to South America. Obviously, we had connections in South America, so we started taking kind of member mission trips and, and just going to encourage the churches and obviously take advantage of the fact that we had so many bilingual members. Um, and so the, the church in the valley became a part of the uh, mission society that was based in Nashville that was supporting the work in, uh, again, Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, and Peru. And we had built 
over the years, uh, Adrian and I spent in 2005, we spent two months in um, two, two weeks in Venezuela, two weeks in Ecuador, and then a month in Lima, Peru. And uh, th those churches at the time were going through a lot. And so in partnership with the Nashville church, actually the Nashville church funded that trip and the Austin church allowed, gave us the time to be able to go. So we, we had gotten to know in 2005, a lot of the church leaders, a lot of the folks in, in those churches and just continue to build a friendship and build a relationship. And I had gotten kind of more and more involved in that, in that mission work and in the support that once again was based in Nashville. And the Nashville church um, basically just had, had gone through a series of different changes and transitions and um, had just kind of had a hard time get, getting moving forward, but had continued just to, to incredibly faithfully support the mission work financially. Um, and and like, like I shared, my parents were here at different points and were involved in overseeing that mission work, but the, the church in Nashville was hurting. And we, you know, my parents had been here. We were praying for the church in Nashville. We realized the church in, in Nashville was very important to the support uh, for, again, those four countries that we had gotten so involved with and, and you know, these, these brothers and sisters that we love so much. And so... Um, but we did love, like we loved uh, being in the Rio Grande Valley and we loved the Texas family of churches. And often Adrian and I would talk about, hey, if we were to ever move away from the valley, it would probably be either to be on staff in one of the bigger Texas churches to get more training and, um, and even to be a part of a team or maybe to go to South America and, and go serve on the mission field. We didn't ever really think about the idea of leaving kind of the Texas family of churches other than, again, South America. But we, we also saw from afar just the Nashville church had done such an amazing job of supporting the mission work, but, but was, was hurting and was having a hard time finding a way forward. So um, as they went through a transition in 2017, we were praying for them and, and praying for that transition. And at the end of 2017, we got a call uh, asking if we would consider um, if we would consider, you know, interviewing in Nashville. And uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to add at that point. Um, at that point, we started, um, you know, getting advice, talking to people who knew us. Am I skipping ahead too much? Well, I, I, the, the one other thing kind of with that, like, again, we, we were very happy in the Valley. Yeah, and sure. so our, our initial reaction was no. Mm -hmm. um, our initial reaction was we're happy where we are. Um, you know, it just doesn't make much sense for us to pick up and leave. I mean, to be honest, one of the things we loved about the church in the Valley is, um, you know, we had been a part of many of those conversions. Um, not a lot of people move from other places to the Rio Grande Valley. So there weren't a lot of people who had experienced some of the challenges in our family of churches. We, we kind of got to build with a clean slate. And so there wasn't a lot of the, the, the trauma or the hurts from the past. And we love that. You know, we love that we were just able to kind of build moving forward. And we knew that Nashville was a church that had been through a lot of those things. And there, there was going to be a lot of hurt from the past. Um, and we just felt like we're happy where we are. Uh, and that sounds really hard. And um, we, we had a friend that had gone through... Um, uh, just a handful of different losses as a part of kind of our, our leadership team in the Valley. And so the leadership team together, we decided to basically have a book club and we, we read together 
uh, a book by um, Tim Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And it's an amazing book. And one of his points is that part of the character of Jesus is that he had it good and he, he gave all that up to go and suffer and to go and, you know, be, be human and, and live with us and go through all the, the, the challenges of humanity, but also the cross for us. And that that's just in the, in the character of Jesus was a willingness to suffer. And, and just how, how as human beings, you know, we tend to just want to avoid suffering at all costs. And I know I personally was so challenged by that idea that my reasoning for not wanting to consider, you know, moving away was because that sounds hard yeah. and that sounds challenging. And I like where I'm at and I have yeah. it good where I'm at. Right. It just, it challenged me that that was so not like Jesus. So we had one friend that was in town in the Rio Grande Valley to help us um, with some training of campus Bible talk leaders, a dear, dear friend. And he literally said, like, we just asked, hey, what do you, what would you do? You know us, what do you think? What would you do? And he literally said, I would do the harder thing. I would try to meet the bigger need. And that was what we had, were learning in this, in this book. And so it just kind of got in our mind, like maybe God is asking us to do the harder thing, hmm. to meet the bigger need. So, and again, not that we thought we could, not that we thought we knew how, um, but I think we were just challenged with, well, we can't just, just summarily say no. Right. Yeah. We've got to, we've got to be willing to listen to God's plan. We've got to be willing to listen to the spirit. Okay. and what the spirit may, may be doing. So we kind of went into the whole process um, willing to listen. Um, so again, they called us and we said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll consider it. And so we went into the whole interviewing process and everything, just really seeking God's will. And that was, I mean, we, we fasted. Uh, I mean, I was on my knees just saying, God, please just, just uh, we want to do whatever you want us to do. Uh, please make it clear what you want us to do. And honestly, uh, I think we were, there were a lot of prayers that God would send the perfect couple to Austin and it would be somebody else. I mean, to, to us, <laughs> to Nashville. The, the perfect couple to Nashville and it would be somebody else. And, right. and we actually, you know, we had different ideas and made, you know, uh, kind of made suggestions or whatever. But at the end of the day, we just felt like God made it clear this was what he was asking. And honestly, like our move from Austin to the Rio Grande Valley was similar in that Austin was comfortable and where our friends were. And then, you know, we were going to a place we didn't know into a new situation. And, and I do think it helped that we had that, that sort of step of faith from Austin to the valley. And we had seen how God had used that. Um, and so we felt like similarly okay, you know, if this is God's plan, we're going to trust God's plan. Uh, and we're going to do our best to, to try to be used. And at the end of the day, yeah, just after lots of advice and fasting and prayer and kind of going through the process, we felt like God had made it clear. So okay. So what was it? What was, what was the size of the church when you walked into to Nashville? How's it gone since the time? What's it, what is it now? Have you seen the same kind of growth or what, what tell us a little bit about Nashville in the past five years since you've been there? Yeah, we've been here three and a half years. Okay. Um, uh, so first of all, cool city. 
beautiful city, beautiful area. Um, when we came in, I think there was almost 400 people. We, we were given a list of 382 names. Yeah, yeah. So, so we were, we knew that was a big jump. We've been leading a church of 150 to jump to 380. That was a, a big jump. Um, the church here is super warm, super loving, like Matt said, just super giving to the Latin American churches. They have a great connection to Latin America. Um, I'll let Matt jump in now, but our first impression was very warm Southern hospitality and we loved that they had that, those generous hearts to Latin America. Yeah, I, I think um, we, we have not seen the same kind of growth, just to answer that question quickly. Uh, we were given a list of 382 names. Um, and again, the church just had been through a lot, even in the year before we were hired, really in the few years before we were hired, um, the church had just been through a lot. There had been a lot of transition, a lot of challenges. I don't know that we want to go into all the right, details. Sure. But um and so, so we were given this list of names, and then we, we quickly realized, okay, um, we, we just got to work on even shepherding and, and taking care of people. There were some people who were on the list who had moved away, mm -hmm. you know, like we were just trying to figure out, okay, who are we? And, um, and then over the past three and a half years, it's been a lot of the same, you know, those same three scriptures, uh, those same three concepts, and just we, we want to move forward as a church and who's with us. And so a lot of the past three and a half years have been just trying to very patiently and lovingly try to figure out, okay, let's, let's try to be disciples of Jesus and really love God and love each other and love the lost. And, uh, you know, so little by little, we've, we've tried to kind of figure all that out. So we're, we're at about 320 members right now. Uh, we've had some great people move in, had some great people become Christians. Um, but I'd say we're still in that journey of, of sort of, of recovery, basically. The, the Nashville church really, since the mid-90s, has been through a lot of challenges, some really heartbreaking, hard times. Um, I, I definitely think about the, the passage in 1 Corinthians 3 about how we build and building well and building with costly materials mm -hmm. versus building with wood, hay, and straw. And just to be honest, I think, you know, at times the, the, the approach to building was not with costly materials. And, and so the people that are here are just amazing. The people who are still with the church are amazing. But I, I just, you know, I hear stories that make me sad in terms mm -hmm. of the way people were treated. And, um, and so a lot of people walked away. Um, and a lot of people, you know, were really hurt. And so, the, yeah, there's just been a lot of work to try to build trust and get you know kind of nurse people back to health and and then and then i think just have a vision of where are we going to go and where do we want to go and we feel like things are a lot healthier and moving in the right direction and we are like what we saw in the valley like what we saw in san antonio with mike and Ambergite. we've really invested in the youth um, in the campus ministry we have a great young uh staff of, of people that, that are excited about the campus ministry. Um, and again, just the, the church in general, like the people that are here, they're, they're just, they're heroes because they've been through the battles, they've been through the wars and they're still standing. Okay, uh, and they still so I've got a question for you guys. 
you, you come off just like a, a 10 year run of just victory after victory. I mean, when you look back, like the golden period, like, whoa, we were like golden children there, just doing an amazing thing. Everything we did t- turned to gold. You get into, get into a situation, it actually declines. You run into COVID, the, there's a lot of drama, a lot of history in the church. I mean, okay, I can just speak for myself. I would just be going, oh my gosh, what did I do? What did I get myself into? This is really discouraging. This is really tough. And there'd be a lot of thinking going on like, oh my gosh, okay, this is this is challenging. And on top of it, just even the strong churches going through COVID, losing members, people drifting away, just getting into isolation, going back into the darkness, really challenging situation. How have you guys managed to navigate the the emotional battle of what you've had to face. I mean, that I think that's the kind of million-dollar question for so many ministers. So many ministers are leaving the ministry. I mean, I'm not just talking about our family churches. I'm talking about, like, just Christianity in general. It's a tough time to be a minister. So you've had a couple things that are going against you. How have you managed to navigate that emotionally? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, we, um, you know, we got here and... Uh, six months after we got here, there was some personal traumatic stuff in my family. And then we had a year here in Nashville where lots of things happened. Like we had, I believe it, 10 members passed away. Is that, is that right, Matt? Not in one year. Um, but yeah, I guess. Maybe over 18 months or something. We just, we just, I had my personal family traumatic event and then I had, um, just funerals and tragedy and, and, and a drowning and cancer. And mm. it was a lot. So I found myself in counseling for the first time ever in my life. And that was extremely helpful just, you know, to talk to someone and to work through, you know, grief and pain and, um, you know, probably some PTSD, things like that. So that was really helpful. Um, and then COVID hit. So that's all before COVID. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's been a lot. I think, um, you know, I think something that helps me and Matt is we're just very rooted in the Bible. We're very rooted in God. We have great friends. Um, we have a great marriage. And at the end of the day, we're not quitters. <laughs> like we just, you know, we run marathons. We love the suck. We love the hard <laughs> So I think that just keeps us focused. Like we know that, um, you know, this life as Christians, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And even turning a ship, like turning Nashville, we know it's going to take time, but there are amazing hearts here. And there are people here who just love us and support us. And we're very grateful for the people who are loving and supporting us. And even, you know, the church provided an opportunity for us to take a sabbatical. So just this last um, September, October, and November, we got um, a three-month sabbatical. And, you know, that was after 21 years in the ministry, never having a break, never having a sabbatical. So we were thrilled to be able to do that. And I I feel like, um, you know, our juices are filled back up with God. And we're, you know, we're ready to go again for round two. (laughs) So we went went from, um, you know, it's... 
it's just so sad the world we live in now we you know we've gone from pandemic now to war it is a crazy time but i'm so grateful that the church allowed us to take that sabbatical and just get filled back up on god and me personally i didn't even realize how um how i needed to uh refocus on God, recenter. I always thought, yeah, he's in the center. Yeah, he's in the center of my life. God's in the center. And it took me those months to realize like, wow, he really got off center. Like the issues became the center. The trauma became the center. The hard times became the center. So I'm so grateful we got that time that I personally got to rest and just recenter my life around God again. Um, well, there's, yeah, there's a lot I could share here. Um, with, with the sabbatical, gosh, I think it was 2014, Mike and Ambrigitte took a sabbatical. And, and so we were in the Valley at that point. But so even at that point, we kind of started having conversations and like, oh, what's that about? And, you know, that's, that's, uh, it was kind of a new, new concept in our minds. Um, but we definitely, Mike and Brigitte started really taking a Sabbath and taking Mondays off back in the eighties. Um, and, and so that's one of the things they shared with us is just the importance of, of having a day to recharge and, and not letting life creep into that and having a day to really be with God. And, and um, I, I think that we've learned to adopt that more and more. I probably was a little slow at, at first to kind of take that on. I, I can just kind of have a go, go, go mentality at times. And um, so, so I feel like, again, with, with David and Angela Hooper, who were very family oriented, they definitely put their marriage and their kids, you know, before um, the ministry. I, I definitely feel like with my parents, I, I saw a great example with Mike and Ambrigitte, we saw a great example. So we had influences in our lives that helped us to, you know, to kind of keep first things first. It's God, it's our, our marriage, it's our kids. The ministry is not our lives. Um, it's, it's, you know, we want to serve God. And I share that because I think it's definitely helped through the challenges, you know, that we've been through here over the past few years is that, yeah, we want to serve, but the things that matter long-term are our relationship with God, our marriage, our kids, and, and we definitely want to keep first things first. So we had actually already started talking about kind of a sabbatical. And so we were actually thinking about doing something like that in the Valley, and then we decided to move here. And so it's just something we kind of had, had put off a little bit, uh, but then we did ask and, and it was more of a preventative thing, but we feel like it definitely came at the right time. And the elders and the church here was very gracious in terms of allowing us to do that. So shortly after, you know, only three, three years after having moved here. Um, so, I, I, and I think, I think just like Adriana said, just making sure we're close to God and that this is for God. It's interesting before, again, before we moved to Nashville, I, I spent, I think it was like six months studying Jeremiah um, and just reading, like I would, I would read it and finish it. And then I'd just start over hmm. and I was just, then I'd read it in different translations and I read a few different commentaries and uh, I just, I was going to do kind of a series in the Valley on Jeremiah and at the end of the day, it was just God working on me, <laughs> uh, but Jeremiah's ministry is, is a ministry of serving God. It's not a ministry of results. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a ministry that everybody listened and, you know, everything went great. And it's just always been challenging and inspiring that it was for God yeah. um, and that, that his work was for God. It was not about results. And 
having, having grown up in our movement and in our family of churches, I definitely like am wired kind of more of a results orientation. And so I feel like that's something I've had to really work on, but I feel like it's, it's something I've gone after is that I'm, I'm doing this for God. And again, God, the results will be God's and God will, will, he'll take care of that end of it. I'm going to try to do my part as best I can um, and trust that, you know, God's going to work out that end of it. So I feel like that that's helped me kind of have some, some peace here through a time where it definitely has been more challenging. And um, you, like you said, our time in the Valley was so inspiring and encouraging. I also think that God allowed us to have that time in the Valley um, to, to prepare us right for this next um task that he had before us. And so we were able, I think we're able to take the faith that was built in, in who God is and what God does. And kind of that's been able to carry us along through some of these years. And, and like I said, we, we feel like God is changing, changing us and, and um, you know, working in the church here and we're building friendships and trust and love in the church and there are better days ahead. Right. So you, you guys are athletes. You, you mentioned that you're Run, run marathons. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you find time for that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I started, uh, athletics when I was 11 and I really have never stopped. Like it's just, you know, a great part of my life. I'm so grateful that my uh, parents put me in stuff and, um, had a great experience, uh, swimming and playing, uh, volleyball as a young girl. And then when I went to UT Austin, I, my dorm was right by the campus gym. So just, you know, loved going to work out. Um, there great running scene in Austin. We lived by, um, the lake where there's a 10 mile running trail. So just super beautiful. And it, it was just, I don't know how to explain. It's just always been, you know, a part of my life. I didn't even uh, realize what a great foundation I was laying at that time, you know, in my teens and twenties. And, and so when we first got in the ministry, I was 21 and we were in Houston and it started getting just so busy, you know, studying the Bible with teen girls, going to meetings, getting with parents, driving all over Houston, great stuff. But I just found myself saying, I need a hobby. Right. <laughs> I really need a hobby. And so I just picked a marathon to run. I'd, I'd never run further than six, six miles, I believe. Um, and so I picked a marathon. And again, you're young, you have energy. I'm only 21. And I, I picked a marathon, an Austin marathon. We moved to Houston and I picked the Austin marathon. I was like, oh, I want to go back and visit Austin. I'll go back and run the marathon. So I, I trained, I can't even remember, for three months, six months. But um, I trained very simply, just three runs a week and three runs a week. And then I worked my long run up to 20 miles and I ran that first marathon and I, I was hooked. It was a great experience. Um, and I've honestly, I've just, I've never looked back. Like I, I know now, like, wow, I was protecting my mental health. Wow. I was protecting my physical health, but at the time I just thought it was fun and I needed a hobby. Um, but now I know at 43, like I need this, this is like, my therapy getting away and running and these races are so fun. Um, but that's how it started with just ministry's hard and I need a hobby. Right. 
Yeah, my, my story is fairly similar. Grew up playing sports, grew up playing soccer in Argentina. When we moved to the States, I kind of picked up basketball and played basketball in high school and, um, you know, all kinds of intramural sports through college. And like Adriana, the dorm was right next to the gym. So I'd go play pickup basketball till one in the morning, and, uh, you know, share my faith, but just enjoyed it. Um, after college, Adriana's actually the first one that started running. I mean, I had run, I had run a little bit of like track or, but, but mostly just did the basketball thing. So I'd never done a ton of running. Although dad, when I was in middle school, dad would run road races and, and we did a little bit of that together. But um, so, so she kind of started that. And then after a little while, I kind of followed in her footsteps and kind of got into running as well. And it was just a very simple way to get some exercise and get a sweat in. Right. And then right. when, uh, so my dad um, had open heart surgery in, I believe it was 2004. And there's a history in his family of uh, heart disease, high blood pressure, that kind of thing. And, you know, I kind of have those same genes and my, my blood pressure is okay, but it is a little, uh, you know, it can kind of inch up that way a little bit. And so at that point I decided, okay, I just, I need, I need to make this a lifestyle. And so for me, it was just, okay, I'm going to run at least once a week. And I, I like running. And like Adriana said, it's a kind of a stress relief. It's, uh, time to kind of get away and just be in my own head. And then I find that when I'm, when I'm running, maybe I want to work out a little bit and then maybe I want to eat a little bit better. It all kind of, it all kind of goes together. So it's just something again, that we've decided that is a lifestyle thing that we just need to make a part of our lives. So we just make time for it. We, when the kids were little, we would trade, okay, what day are you going to run while well, I'm with the kids? And I, mm. you know, we, we just kind of uh, work our schedule and make right. sure it included uh, some physical exercise. That's cool. W one thing that's nice about it is that you can just, there's no commute time for it. You just head out the door and boom, you're, you're exercising. That's awesome. Okay. Final question for you guys. Thank you so much for your time. What advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count? So I, I think, I think for me, it's probably you probably heard it a little bit throughout our conversation but it's just to, to relentlessly seek God's will. I, I, I feel like that's definitely been one of the things for me is it, whether it was where to go to college, um, you know, as, as Adriana and I were dating and uh, thinking about marriage, as we were trying to figure out, you know, do we want to do ministry, just these different moves that we've made. Um, just the idea always of if I'm, if I'm in God's will, if I'm doing the things that God wants me to do, then even if it's hard, it's the right thing. And God's going to take care of me and God's going to bless. Um, and and that's, that's just something I've tried to share with people. Uh, but I just feel like that, again, I, I, I want to be within God's will and God's path and God's plan for my life. And that doesn't always mean it's going to be easy or it's going to go well. But it's, I know God's going to bless it. I know God's going to take care of it. Um, and so I, I would just urge people, um, man, if, if you want your life to count, make sure that you're really looking to God to guide you, especially in big decisions. Mm. Um, I, you know, as, as a kid who grew up in the church, I, I, every kid that grows up in the church and they're thinking about college, that's my thing is, man, when you think about college, like ask yourself, where does God want you to go? I actually had a few different ideas about where to go to school and 
I really prayed. And again, it was another time where I prayed and I fasted and got a ton of input. And I ended up in Austin. And the first week in school, I meet Adriana. And I didn't know at the time, right, that, that we were going to do life together. But uh, I just think, what if I had chosen one of those other schools? But I really believe God directed that. That's but awesome. I, I believe he did because that was really my my goal was, God, where do you want me to go? Mm-hmm. So that that's the one thing I would share. Uh, yeah, for me, I would probably share, go on an adventure, do the hard thing, um, take the leap of faith. I think as I get older, like I want to be more comfortable and I want uh, comfort. I love um, the one thing the pandemic brought that I love is what I call pajama days. I love my pajama days. Um, but I have to I have to fight that if I want to have a life of impact. Uh, comfort is not my standard. Uh, living like Jesus is what I what I need to do. So yeah, I, that's what I would say, like fight that urge. Um, I don't know if you have a lot of international viewers or American viewers, but it's definitely an American thing, I think, probably all over the world, but we just, we want to be comfortable. We want it to be easy. Right. Um, but if we're going to have a life that counts, you know, we need to go out on faith, go out on an adventure and take risks and do the hard things. Mm. Matt and Adriana, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Thanks Rob. for putting these times together. It's yeah. been super inspiring. Just oh my really gosh. Be a part of it. You guys' work is amazing, and I look forward to just keeping in contact. And so thankful to learn from you guys, and to be able for you to be able to share with others what what you've been doing and how God's working in your life. All the best to you in your ministry, in your family, and in your life. And thank you again. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Appreciate Rob. It. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.